Turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're continuing as a church through our series on 2 Corinthians. We've been working our way through over the months and uh, on the lead up to our weekend away. And now we've hit chapter 10. And uh, it's been a great series for us, really. We just want to submit ourselves under the Word of God, not dictate what the Bible says to us, but as it were, receive what the good things that God has laid out for his church. So 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Now, before we read anything, I want to start by asking you something today. And if I had the chance, I'd sit down with each one of you and I'd ask you this one thing. And it is simply this question. How's the war going for you today? The war. How's it going for you? You might say, war? What war, Pete? What don't I know? Has North Korea done something? Are the Aussies trying to invade? Beat the All Blacks first and then come in and land? What kind of war are you talking about? I'm not talking about that kind of war, but there is a war. And whether you know it or not, according to the Bible, you're in it. Although, of course, if you don't realize you're in a war, you're at a real disadvantage because you'll be being hit and you won't even know it or know why. And uh, reminds me of when I saw my youngest son. You know, they kind of paint ball kind of games that they play, you know, the paintballing birthday party. When my younger boy was about 11 or 12 years old, it was part of a paintballing birthday, outdoor paintballing. If you've ever seen that done before, uh, it was quite funny to watch as a father because there was about 20 young people, maybe 11, 12-year-olds are out there, these boys with their paintball guns. And uh, if you know how the games work, one of the games is you've got to go and take the enemy's flag. And, uh, and I still remember watching, it was early on in the paintballing afternoon, and uh, they'd obviously, one team had obviously got the smallest little guy to defend the flag. And, uh, and the other thing about it is he's probably never done it before because he didn't know that the game had started. And so there he is sitting there fiddling with his helmet and playing with his gun. Meanwhile, the enemy is broken through and is all surrounding him, and there's a moment where they just get their guns up and they plaster this little boy. And from where I was standing, all I could hear was, help, help, help. <laughs> and they reached in behind him and simply taken his flag game over. And now that's the trouble with not knowing you're in a conflict or a war. You get slammed and you don't know why and your flag gets taken. So this may be news to you this morning, but there is a war. And it's a war that Paul talks about here in 2 Corinthians 10. In fact, for Paul, you know, he's so urgent about it he makes it the key verses of the chapter. So I'm going to put the verses up and we're all going to read the passage together. All right, it's chapter 10, verse 3. Let's read the passage together. Here we go. For although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. Since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. In other words, according to Paul, there's a war on. Weapons, strongholds, demolition, captivity, 
it's all there. We're in it. It says the weapons of our warfare. All right, so according to the scriptures, you and I are in the middle of a conflict. And I just want to take a few moments out of your time today to talk about this conflict because I'd argue that this conflict is far greater than many of us understand. Far more devastating. You won't see it on the news. You won't read about it in stuff. But it's right there and you're in it and it's impacting your life profoundly. All right, so I just want to take three or four points from these verses and a few others. And I just want to put it out there before you because Paul's heart here is that you pick up the weapons that you have and you fight and you come into all that God has for you. Right, so let's just pray and ask God to help us. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you so much for what you've already been saying to us. The wonderful victory of your son. The one who has overcome death and Hades. The one who reigns and is exalted to your right hand. Father, we thank you that though there is a war on, we thank you that you are our captain and the Lord of hosts. And we come to you this morning and I pray that you would speak to us by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, number one, the first thing these verses tell me is that this war isn't against people or flesh or countries. It's against something else. It's against, Paul says, it's against arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God. In other words, it's against lies, it's against deception, it's against false understanding, and also I'd say after this morning, it's against curses that would come your way. All right? That's the war, right? So, so it's a totally different kind of conflict, and if you think, well, that's not much of a war, Pete. It's not a very heroic kind of war, not very violent, not much blood there. Well, according to the Bible, this is one of the most devastating conflicts on planet Earth right now. Certainly as far as you and I are concerned, because as Proverbs 3, 23.7 says, it says this, For as a man thinks within himself, so he is. In other words, your understanding of truth about yourself, about the world around you, and about God will affect who you become and what you will achieve in his hands. It's huge. It's huge. Right? We all know the story, don't we, about the ch chicken f f farmer and the eagle? The chicken farmer and the eagle. We've used the story here once before, I'm sure we have. The chicken farmer and the eagle. You know that story? In case there's one or two who don't know the story. There was a chicken farmer. And he was living in America, in the northern states of America. And uh, he raised hundreds of free-range chickens and hens. Anyway, one day he's out there walking on his own and he bumps into uh, something in the grass, picks it up, and it's an egg like he's never seen. It's an eagle's egg. It must have fallen off a cliff somewhere. So what does he do? He takes this eagle's e egg home and then says, well, I don't know what to do with it. I'll give it to my chickens. And they might be able to hatch the egg. And so he does, and hoping they'll adopt the egg. And amazingly, the chickens do. And they sit on this egg. And then over the weeks, eventually this egg hatches and out pops this little eaglet. A little eaglet. That's a baby word for it. That's a word for baby eagle, by the way. Eaglet. All right, apparently. And amazingly, this eaglet survives and grows. But as the months go by, this farmer notices something very odd about this eagle because 
because of the way it's been raised, uh, because, if you like, the customs and the culture around it, this eagle seems to just assume he's a very big chicken. And so what he does, because that's all he's seen, and so what he does is he shuffles around in the dirt, dragging his big wings behind him, and he's pecking the seed. Which is crazy, of course, because this incredibly noble bird, born to soar high in the sky, massive wingspan, sharp beak, clear eyes, massive talons, he's a bird of prey, he's meant to swoop down on the animals that he's after, he's a noble bird, and yet this noble bird, instead of doing that, he's just shuffling around in the dirt. In other words, as this eagle thinks, so has he become. He thinks he's a chicken, so now that's how he behaves. And every now and then, high in the sky, some eagle is way off flying somewhere, and every now and then he hears the cry of a distant eagle. I, I don't know what the cry of a distant eagle sounds like. I, I don't know what it would... Cuckoo! Or something. <laughs> Hoot! No, that's not one of them. Every now and then he hears a cry of a distant eagle. And you know, something in this eagle stirs within him and he thinks, I was made for something better than this. But hey, he carries on pecking the seed in the dirt. And it's a cute story... But the reality is this, there are many Christians living in churches up and down the land, believers for whom Jesus died, who live like this every day. In other words, they were, they were saved to enjoy being sons and daughters of God, saved to live lives of godliness and holiness and love and grace, saved to bring in the kingdom of heaven and called to build a glorious church that will bring God's glory in. If you like, there are believers who have been saved to soar like an eagle, and yet instead, because they've been so influenced by the thinking of the day and the false values of the age, they're digging around in the dirt, caught up in the rat race, worldliness, materialism, pornography, sin, reduced to such mediocrity, all because they've lost the battle. They've given in to the lies of the age and their flag has been taken. You see, it really does matter what you think. It really does. It will affect you. And Paul's saying here, look, there's a war on to keep you from the truth and keep you from flying. So, so that's the first thing. We, the war we fight is for God's truth in the midst of lies. God's truth. That's the first thing. Second thing about the war is that it's not just against ideas and values and arguments as such, it's against something even bigger than that. Bigger than that. It's actually against an enemy who is behind those arguments and lies. I, I say enemy because the Bible's clear there is an enemy who is personal and who is evil and who hates you. All right, just need to say that to you this morning. And whose job is to lie to spread lies. In fact, Paul lays this out very clearly in a parallel passage, a passage that's directly parallel to this over in Ephesians 6. In Ephesians 6, Paul says this, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavenly places. All right? What's he saying? He's saying, look, there are forces at work, 
Not flesh and blood, not people or countries, not even just ideas and arguments, but behind them are spiritual forces of evil, and they are seeking to overcome you. Now, some of us may struggle with that concept. Nevertheless, it is Bible truth. There is an enemy who wants to take you down and take your flag. And of course, coming back to our key passage in Corinthians, the place where the enemy mainly attacks is in our minds and the way we think. And you'll see this in Scripture again and again. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says this, For the God of this age blinds the minds of unbelievers. Satan himself is a liar, Jesus says. Jesus says this about him in John 8, There is no truth in Satan, for he is a liar, and the father of lies. The enemy lies and deceives, it's what he does. And according to Ephesians, it is he who's behind every argument and proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God. So listen, this is the conflict we are in. I'm just trying to lay out the conflict. This is the enemy who is against us. And so we live in a culture or a society that is bombarded and saturated with wrong thinking and deception. With me so far? And in order to really try and illustrate what I'm saying, I thought it might be helpful to just throw out one or two examples of the common lies that he sends our way. All right? So this is ordinary lies. Common lies the enemy sends our way. And of course, some of these lies you'll see through immediately. Ha! Spotted that one, Pete. Others you might not so much. Interestingly, we've already touched on a few in the worship. So here's an obvious lie that permeates our culture. Try this one for size. You will never die. You will never die. Most people walking around out there in the streets of Poru and beyond and in this hall don't really believe that death will happen to them. It will always happen to someone else. I was watching an interview recently uh, of a specialist in palliative care. That's end-of-life care. She deals with those with terminal illnesses. And it's, she's an expert. She's been teaching on it for years. And she makes this point. She says this. The thing that really stands out over the years is the shock and surprise people feel when it finally dawns on them that they are going to die. She says they're always so shocked. It always comes as a shock. So ingrained is the lie that it'll never happen to me. And that's why as a society, generally, we don't deal with death very well. We tend to hide it away, put it under the carpet, get the professionals in, the undertakers and so on. They can deal with it on our behalf. All because we want to stay in the belief it'll never happen to me. Can I just say, that's a lie. All right, That's a lie. The enemy wants you to believe that lie because it keeps you stuck into this world, the materialistic world, and stops you from turning to the only one who has true life, both now and forevermore. We've been worshipping him this morning, the one who has true life. But if you're living thinking it will never happen to you anyway, and this life is where it's all going to happen, then you won't turn to him. It's a lie. Here's another lie, number two, here's one. You are what you own or achieve. In other words, my true value, significance, comes from how much I own or how great my achievements are. That's a huge cornerstone of our culture. Um, it's a lie. 
Your true significance does not come from that. just want to put it out there. Yet we're brought up to believe that the more expensive my car is, the bigger my house, the higher up in the career my office is, or in the business, the larger my portfolio, the cooler my clothes, the more fulfilled, the more significant I will be. That is not true. And it's not true because of one really obvious thing, and it's this, none of it will last. None of it will last. It all goes. When I was preparing this point yesterday, I couldn't help thinking of my own father, actually, my own dad. My dad uh, was a businessman in this country for many, many years, and actually he achieved some real successes. He was quite high up in various companies. He rubbed shoulders with a few prime ministers. He, he was actually a mover and a shaker in the nation in the economic sense. And you could say that he had gained huge significance and a sense of purpose and value. But let me tell you, in the months leading up to when he died, I saw him lose it all. You know, as the Parkinson's ate away at him and as the age hit him, and uh, I saw it all strip back and strip back until one horrifying incident I remember, I'll never forget, when Dad and I wanted to go out and buy something in a hardware store, and, and uh, there's Dad, and he's, and he's trying to use the FPOS machine and he can't get his fingers to hit the buttons, and he can't even remember his code. And the guy behind the counter is so embarrassed for Dad, and I'm embarrassed for Dad, and he's feeling humiliated. This guy who could move and shake companies and enterprises until eventually I remember having to step Dad aside and say, Dad, I'll take this. And I thought at the time, everything has been stripped away. Everything has been stripped away. The truth is, it is, as Julian said, it is God who gives you true significance. He sent his son to die so that you might be his beloved child both now and forever. That's where true significance comes from. Another lie, just touch on this. You don't need God, you can find happiness on your own. I won't even expand on that. We know that's not true. Number four, how about this one? God loves everyone, but he tolerates me. God loves everyone, but he tolerates me. I wonder how many of us in this room feel that right now. You know, God loves him. God really loves her. God blesses them and uses them. He answers their prayers. But me? No, no, because he knows what I'm really like. All right, He knows what I've done. He knows what I still do. He knows what I'm so ashamed of. And here I am looking godly and holy, sitting in these chairs with lots of other people around me, but they don't know what I struggle with. Why would he want to love me and use me? I am not intelligent enough. I am not beautiful enough. I am ashamed. Can I just say, it's a lie. It's a lie. Romans 5, 6 says this, While we were still helpless, Christ died for the ungodly. In other words, Jesus didn't come for the pure and holy and well-behaved. He gave his life for the ungodly. So look, if you're feeling unworthy and ashamed and a failure today, you're the one Jesus came for. He came for you. He came specifically to find you and save you and bring you into the family. You're his target. 
Of course he loves you. He gave his life for you. That's the truth. So these are just tasters, really, of some of the many prevailing lies over our culture. Lies that the enemy whispers to you every day through a million adverts, through the people in your office, through the education system, and even in your dreams at night. Lies are coming at you all the time, and their purpose is always to reduce you and reduce you and reduce you until you're no more than a chicken digging around in the dirt. Paul says no. No. Paul says this. The weapons of our warfare are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God. In other words, we do battle in this war. We do battle. You say, well, how? Well, it's a big subject. Back in Ephesians 6, Paul talks about putting on armor and praying in the Spirit. Here in our passage in Corinthians, he focuses on something else, another way to fight. He says this. He says this. We take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That's what we do. In other words, if you want to rise up like an eagle, if you really want to fly... You want to come into all that God has for you, then take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You say, well, Pete, that's all very well saying that, but how do you do that? What does that mean? Well, I think it means something very, very simple. It means this. It means you and I, we learn to repent. We learn to repent. Now, just remember what repent means. It means simply this, it means that you change your way of thinking. That's what the word means. I know it's been, meant, been used to mean other things, but really all it really means is you change the way that you think. It means this, that we receive God's truth as it truly is God's truth. Again, remember who he is. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the one who is, who was, and who is to come. He is the great I Am. There is none before him and there will be none after him. He is the ultimate and final authority. He is the first word, the middle word, and the last word. He is the source of all truth. And so to repent means simply this, is that we begin to realign ourselves to what he says about us and about the world and about his great purposes. That's what it means to repent. And so it no longer matters what other people say about you. It doesn't matter. It doesn't mean anything. Or, or what your past says about you. Whether you failed at school and you weren't very intelligent. Whether you were bankrupted in business and you failed there. Whether you failed in ministry in some way. Or whether your marriage crumbled. Or whether your family has written you off. It doesn't matter what any of that says about you. It's what... God says about you that's important. And his promises. And if you put your trust in Jesus, you are the apple of his eye, the delight of his heart, and you're engraved on the palm of his hands. He loves you. Hallelujah. And he has such plans for you. To repent means that we align our thinking with his, because he is the one saying it. And so we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And you see, this is why, 
This is why we love his word. This is why this book isn't there to decorate your bookshelf. We love his word because it's your inheritance, it's your birthright, it's your book of promises. Your store of truth. It's also why we love his prophetic promises because he is still speaking truth into our hearts. Repentance means we embrace what he says so we position ourselves to receive his grace so that we can begin to fly. That's how it works. That's how it works. Folks, we are in a war, in a battle. Can I just say it's an uneven battle. We're not talking about equal forces opposing one another. God is sovereign. He is Lord. He is over all. But we are in a battle. And for some of us, over the years, we've quietly agreed to many of the lies the enemy has thrown our way. This world is where it's at. I don't need anything more. Or I'm no good to God. He tolerates me only. Or he'll always use someone else. Or, or I'll never change. And without knowing it, as we agree with those kinds of lies, just quietly in our hearts, what we're really doing is we're giving the enemy the flag. We're giving him power over us. And as a church, I believe this too, there have been times when we've allowed that to happen too. We've allowed our heads to go down or we've allowed our faith to shrink. Folks, um, we're in a war in a country that is going to a lost eternity. We need to learn to fight. And we'll find this, that our captain, our Lord, is happy to empower us. God has great things for us to do. He has great territory for us to gain. He has given us exceedingly massive promises as a people and as individuals. Folks, let's embrace them. Let's position ourselves to receive the power of them. Let's learn to fly. Let's shake off the things that have held us in the dirt. I believe we can do that right now. Some of you have already done that as Julian stood up here and said, we break the power of that curse. Let's follow that up by learning to fight when we leave this room and take on the truth that our God would say to us. We have a mission, we have a purpose, it is dynamic, we've barely begun. Hallelujah. Let's stand. Shall we stand?